Shelley. Hi, Pamela. I'm excited to see what this next case is going to be about. This one is a very, very intense case. Actually, this is not my case. Okay. I didn't work this case, but I chose this one today because I worked with one of the lawyers on the case. This guy didn't have an investigator for his defense, and you'll understand why as we go on. Okay. Uh, This is a serial killer. Really? Here in Utah? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Here in Utah, yes. Very, very intense stuff. You may remember some of the details. You may not. This is really emotional stuff, really horrific, horrific crime. Okay. So I feel like I need to give everyone a warning about this episode. These details of this case are graphic. They are highly sexual in nature and extremely violent and awful. And if you don't want to hear that, then this is not the episode for you. You can do something lighter or if you want to go really funny, you can listen to Big Sister Knows Best or How It All Started. That's a funny episode. Okay, so... The defendant's name is Roberto Arguelles, and he was considered Utah's most notorious inmate, and he died on death row. He wanted to be executed. He was sentenced to death, and I've told you, you know, we've had a few cases that we've talked about where Mm -hmm. my client's facing capital murder. Right. Roberto did not want to to have life in prison. He requested that that be taken off as an option, that he be executed. He wanted to be executed. Wow. And he represented himself at sentencing. He killed three teenage girls and one woman, 42-year-old woman. Okay. Within a matter of months. Now... His life, just his whole life was just a string of crimes. When he was 16 okay. years old, he sexually abused a 10-year-old girl. And by, oh, by the age of 18, mm-hmm. he'd been convicted of attempted capital homicide by attempting to kill this 15-year-old girl and aggravated a sexual assault of another girl. Okay. And Did he grow up in Utah? Yep. Or were these attacks happening yes. somewhere else? No, they were happening here. Okay, okay. It happened right here in Utah. So for that, so because he was 18 years old, he's an adult, he served 11 years in prison, and he was paroled. His whole adult life, he only had three years of freedom. Oh, you're The rest of his adult life, he was in prison. Holy cow. That's a lot of prison time. And he died at the age of 41. Oh, you're kidding. Okay. When he got on on parole, let me back up just a little bit. Okay. So when he got out after 11 years, when he appeared before the Mm -hmm. parole board, one of the attorneys that had been involved in that actually showed up at the parole hearing and requested that he not be released. His name was George. Okay. He argued that he not be released from prison because he didn't believe that he had been reformed in any way and that he would be safe in society and the parole board let him out, which is, (laughs) I mean, that's such a tough call. I would not want to be on the parole board because I, I, to decide someone's fate like that, that's a huge responsibility. It's very awesome. And I wouldn't want it. Yeah. Right. But they did release him. So he went to prison for aggravated rape and then attempted murder on, Two girls on another girl. 
right? On and, two girls. And he yep, served, on two. Yeah. There were two. He served 11 years for that. And now the attorney came out and said, mm-hmm. And then he came up for parole. Do not let him out. Right. right. Okay. That they didn't believe that he had, he, that he could possibly be reformed, reformed that okay. he could function in society. Okay. And the parole board let him out, but he was on probation. And while he was on probation, it, it, now he's like age 30, he was working as a laborer. Okay. And when that lawyer that had argued uh-huh. before the parole board, when they learned about the murders, they said, I can't believe that that lawyer said, I was driving when I heard about the murders. I pulled over and cried. They let this mad dog out and he murdered four people. So prior to that parole hearing, we knew that he had serious issues with sexual assault and right. rape and right huge issues with women, girls. Okay. And they let him out. And now, because of that letting him out, four women were killed. Three, oh, well, three right. girls and one woman. Right. Okay. And when, so he gets out on, he's, and he's, but he's on parole. So they are watching him as closely, I guess, as they can. He was 30 years old and he was working as a laborer at a metals processing plant when these killings began. Okay. And his first victim was a woman named Margot Bont. She was 42 years old. And I remember this. At this time, I was doing insurance fraud investigating. I hadn't switched to start doing criminal defense work. But I remember this case because it was big in the news. This woman, she's 42-year-old janitor, and she worked at a junior high school in West Valley. Okay. She went to work. She was working in the afternoon and disappeared. And they could not find her. It was months before they found her body. Okay. And, of course, in most of those cases where a woman comes up missing, who usually does it? Right. You look at the husband. The husband. Or the boyfriend. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Whoever's closest to them, because they usually have the biggest motive to do that. Sure. And in this case, they were looking at her husband and... I was looking at her husband, and I was thinking, yeah, I think this guy probably did it. And I remember, because she disappeared in February of 92, and that was when the Utah Jazz were doing really well. In the spring, they were going to playoffs and in the finals. Right. And, and my band would play a lot of the jazz games, like to have entertainment as people came into the arena to make it fun and exciting. And I remember hearing about her husband going to that after the gig when I got home. And people were like, wow, this guy obviously killed her because his wife has disappeared and he's just going to a jazz game, like just moving on with his life. Like no one could do that unless they had been the one to kill her. Right. Yeah, we're guilty. And I thought, yeah, this is horrible. Like how awful that this guy did this. Right. That crime went unsolved, although they did find the bodies. You said she went to work to the school to, to do her custodial so, and ended up missing. So what happened was Roberto was looking for young females to rape and assault at the junior high. Okay. And, or middle school. Right. And he couldn't find any kids, but he found this janitor who was attractive and he grabbed her took her, raped her. I mean, they found her body months later. They weren't positive on the cause of death, but they believed that it was strangulation. Okay. 
So it was a while before they found her body. Yes. Wow. So that was in February that Margot Bond disappeared. Then in March of 92, Roberto kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and strangled 15-year-old Tuesday Roberts. Her name is Tuesday. Okay. And her friend. He kidnapped both of them. Okay. His 15-year-old and 16-year-old friends. He sexually assaulted and then strangled the 15-year-old Tuesday. And then he stabbed her friend, Lisa Martinez, to death with a wood chisel. Oh, my gosh. Because she started fighting him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, this is horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah. In February, he killed two people. He killed Margot Bond. The custodian. Yes, the custodian. And he also sexually assaulted and killed Stephanie Blundell. Holy another cow. girl. And he claimed, at first he, he claimed to, like, just witness the dumping of their bodies, of two of the bodies. Okay. But... Then later he confessed to police, and let me explain. So he actually, so he was only out for a few years, but he ended up going to prison for more sex assault. He actually raped, sexually assaulted, raped a number of young women. Okay. He didn't kill them all. One he actually had, a, he, he attempted to kill one. Another one he slit her throat, but she did not die. Oh, we'll hear gosh. more about okay. her again a little, little bit okay. later in this. Oh, I, I mean, this guy is, like, like the devil. this is yeah. beyond horrible, oh. beyond horrible yeah. what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, absolute evil. Yes. Like, just mm-hmm. in our lives, in our world. Oh, yes. And so he went to prison a second time because he'd served the 11 years, right? Then he's out. He kills these women. But he didn't go to prison this, after that for murder. What? They didn't know. Oh. What we knew is those women were missing. Okay. They were missing, and that their bodies were later found. Okay, so in the process of this whole thing, he is raping young young women, girls, women, continuously, while these other four bodies end up going missing, and now we're on the track of finding them. But before they found the bodies, or then he goes to prison. He yep, correct. Before they found the bodies, he, he was sentenced to prison. For rape of other women, right. sexual assault okay. of other okay. women, and attempted murder of other women. And while he's in prison, like three, four years later, after being in prison, he gets word from a woman that he had been with. She lets him know that he has a daughter <gasps> that he did not know about. Oh, no. And he was so moved to, by that to learn that he had a daughter that it. Like, seriously, it rocked his world. It changed his his world, his thinking. I don't know if it changed his heart. I don't, I don't know how to judge that. I don't right. know. But he decided he needed to confess. So he told the guards, he told everyone, hey, I need to confess to some things. And so they set it up. They actually appointed lawyers to be there with him while he does these confessions. Okay. And one of those lawyers was a good friend of mine. And during that confession, he admits to killing these women, killing four people. Holy cow. Okay, so he was 33 years old when this came to light. Okay. And he's, so he and he's back he's in. He's only out, so he gets out at 30. Okay. He's, Go ahead. And he's back in prison at 33, and, gets, and he gets word that he has a daughter... It changes his life. He decides to 
confessed to these murders. And what we know is this. Margot Bond's body, the janitor. Her body had been found four months later in a shallow grave near some road tracks in Tooele County that is west of Salt Lake City, about 20 minutes west. An autopsy couldn't determine what caused her death. Okay. So they found her body, but that was like... What, like in 92, right. like shortly, four months after the murder, yeah. it he wasn't connected to Not it. Not at all. They knew that she'd been murdered, and still her husband was, I don't think they actually called him a suspect. There's a real difference in whether they call someone a suspect and just a person of interest. Yes. If you call someone a suspect, you've got to take action. Okay. And so her husband was a person of interest that entire time, okay. like four years. Uh, Imagine no. having your wife disappear and you have the to deal with that loss, and you've got all of society deciding you, you not only that, but you killed yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. And, and you got away like with horrible it. stuff. Yeah, that's terrible. Yes, and so when Roberto is confessing in prison, he tells them where the two because they'd never found the bodies of the of the other three girls, okay. the young like teenage girls. Okay. So he led investigators to where they were buried, and he had buried them on a pig farm that was owned by a relative of his. Oh, no. He dug a shallow grave for those two girls and buried them together. Okay. What his relative's statement was that he saw Roberto and and some other men. I don't think there were any other men involved. I think Roberto was doing it alone. Or they would have talked. They, you know, I believe in Mark Twain saying when he said, two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I can't Uh remember. But the, his relative that saw him digging these graves yeah. didn't report it because he was on parole and he didn't want to get oh in trouble. Oh my gosh, okay. Didn't want to look like an accomplice. Huh. Right. And wow. the other girl buried that girl in another shallow grave up the canyon, up one of our canyons, and they went and found her body. Now, he confessed to killing Margot Bond, the janitor. Okay. And his other victims were teenagers. And the police were so dead set that Margot's killer was her husband that they told him, that's not true. You're just saying this. You didn't. Oh, we don't my believe gosh. That you, okay. that you killed her. Okay. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I did. I killed her. So they were asking for proof of it. And here, there's a really crazy, fascinating, awful point. He said, he had to prove it, right? Right. <laughs> so he said... <laughs> I can prove it because I took her jewelry off of her when I killed her and I kept it for a while but then I had to I decided I better get rid of it and he buried it they were building a bank on the east side of Salt Lake City in the Brickyard Plaza area okay the bank was under construction and he went and hid the jewelry in one of the walls that was being built oh my gosh and okay so the bank was built so they built it in there. So the police actually had to go. They had to get a subpoena so that they could tear into the wall to see if her jewelry was, in fact, there. And sure enough, it was. Oh, my gosh. So he proved okay. that he did kill her. Wow. But thank heavens he had he had some kind of details because if not, they were still looking at the husband. Uh-huh. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, and the husband said, like, hey, as horrible as this has been, I am very relieved. Thankful. To have the world mm-hmm. know that it wasn't me. Uh, yeah. 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 And in in exchange 
in exchange for this confession, uh-huh. he asked to be the, for prison officials to move him into a cell block in the maximum security unit on death row. He wanted to be on death row and to let him have a color television. That's strange. Which they did allow that. Okay. Like, inmates usually have to earn a color TV by, ha- by having good behavior. Oh. And then they have to pay $9 a month for it at that time they had to. Oh, okay. And because of how he negotiated this, he he was able to get a TV, which, I, I mean, when you talk about, like, finding bodies and and giving family closure like that, it's it seems really odd that it comes down to a color TV for him. Yes, it's an interesting, his requests are interesting. Please move me into death row and all I want out of it is a TV. Mm-hmm. So like, that is so strange. Right. Like, it is. Yeah, that's weird. So they actually did, by two psychiatrists, they had him evaluated to decide, because we won't execute someone who is not sane. Okay. In America, we won't do that. And so two psychiatrists did their evaluations to decide whether he was sane and both found him to be sane. Okay. So this was now in like 96 that he confesses. 97, they filed the charges for capital murder. He requests in that trial to be executed. Like I said, he doesn't want to be in death. He doesn't want to be in life without parole. Okay. He wants, or life, he wants to be executed. So I I am going to say, I think it's interesting that when someone has done a horrible crime like this, and he does not want to be uh, um, in prison for life without parole, and he absolutely is fanatic about or feels very strongly about the death penalty, why do we not give it to him? Why do we not? Why do we fight that? It's, I, <laughs> that's kind of where I got with this case. It's a really interesting thing. So it, with that, he, he not only requested to be executed, but he had the option at that time. <laughs> so again, yeah. I just, I cannot, we live in a state of capital punishment. And I know for a lot of years they did yes. not do death by um, firing squad. We, yeah, and that's that's funny that you'd say that because in he requested death by firing squad. Okay. When he was sentenced, he asked the judge, not only, like, I want to be executed, but I want to face the firing squad. Roberto would have been the third person executed by firing squad in Utah. Okay. After Gary Gilmore, yes, he was executed in 1977. Yes. And then we actually... I do too. I remember him. And John Albert Taylor in 1996 was also executed by firing squad in Utah. And how we do it, I don't know if people are familiar with this, how we do it is, I I say we as if I'm part of it. I'm not. But uh, what they do is they will have the inmate wear black. They have a black jumpsuit on Uh with a white cloth pinned over their heart. And then they put a black hood over their head. Okay. And then they'll have like six, I think. Something like that. Six mm-hmm. or seven yeah. people there to shoot. And some of them are firing blanks and some are shooting bullets. And they don't they don't know Who is which one is which. Right. And then they, they shoot them. And in this case, Roberto not only asked for the firing squad, 
but he asked that he not have to wear a hoodie. Oh, you're kidding. He wanted to see them. Oh, no. yeah, no. I, That's not fair like, to the people that are having to follow the law and the no, 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 no. Right. No. Did they allow it? But wait, there's more. <laughs> so there are all these appeals that happen in Utah. And while he was waiting for appeals, in 1998, he tried to hang himself. Okay. And he was actually in a coma for a while. He tried with a laundry bag. And because of that, oh, the ACLU oh. had filed stuff. The I'm attorney, sure. that's my friend, oh. Ed, Ed had filed things saying, hey, because of this, we think he must be incompetent. Right. In my opinion, hey, if I were looking at prison, like life in prison, and I try to kill myself, that doesn't show you I am insane. It shows you I am sane. It shows you. <laughs> I you don't want to do live like this. I don't want to be there. Right. I don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. I can't live with what I've no. done. I acknowledge that he's had some sort of change of heart when he learned he had a daughter. And his quote actually was, when he learned that he had a little girl, he said... He said that he suddenly realized that what he had done to little girls, someone could do that to his little girl. Wow. And it really obviously changed things because he confessed. Right. They never would have connected these four murders to him. Uh -uh. It never would have happened. They were missing missing persons And they would never have found their bodies. Right. You know? Was the woman that had the baby, was she attacked by him? Was she a victim of... The sexual no. assault? Okay. Nope. He had a, nope. he had an, a relationship nope, with her. No, she was not a victim. He had a relationship with a woman, and they had a child. I hope that that daughter never knows who her real dad is or what he was and what he did. I think that would be awfully, awfully hard as a child and a woman to know that that was your, do- your dad. I agree. Yeah. Oh. Right. I agree. It would be devastating. Okay. So there are just a couple things I want to get in that I should have gotten in. It was in the winter of 92 while he was on parole that he went on the killing spree. And his first victim was it was in February. That was Margot Bond, the 42-year-old janitor at the junior high. It was only three weeks later that he kidnapped oh, and murdered no. Stephanie Blundell, who was 13. Oh, and she yeah. was just on her way to school. So innocent. Yeah. Like, I can't... Like, just that fact, right. that fact mm-hmm. just kills me. Like, like this kid's doing what she should be doing. And a, it was only one week later that he offered a ride to Tuesday Roberts, the 14-year-old, oh. and Lisa Martinez, the 16-year-old. He offered uh-huh. them a ride to a mall. And then he handcuffed those t- girls together. Uh-huh. And he tried to sexually assault Lisa, the older girl. And when she resisted, oh my gosh. he, Roberto, stabbed her to death with a wood chisel. And he, then uh-huh. he sexually assaulted oh my gosh. the other girl. He sexually assaulted Tuesday and then strangled her. And they remained, yeah, those, those murders remained unsolved until 1996 when he so, confessed. So let's go back to the firing squad then. So... All of these appeals are going on because he's attempted to hang himself now in his cell. Mm -hmm. And now everybody's fighting to think that maybe he's, you know, he's not all there. What happened in the end? What ended up happening? It couldn't get any crazier than this. Please do not tell me they released him. 
No, 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 no. They did not release oh, him. Oh, good. Okay. And okay. And, and it was in it was ninety eight when he tried to hang himself. So that's like a couple years after he has confessed. Sure. And right. And and that's when my friend and the ACLU stepped in and said, "No, this guy because he wants to be executed, he must be insane. We need to check this out." So they were ordering all right. these appeals. And right. at the same time, and while they're ordering appeals, he's firing them, telling them, you are not my lawyer. I don't want this guy <laughs> as my lawyer. I don't want this don't, woman as my just, lawyer. I want to be done. The end. Right. Wow. You know, and I think it's, it's so such a crazy thing, the way we handle the death penalty. Like, I don't know. I love comedians and comedy, and Ron White has is, is uh-huh. got some really funny routines. I don't know if you're... Have ever seen any of his uh-huh. stuff? I do. He can uh-huh. get pretty rank, uh-huh. but his but if you see his stuff on TV, it, like and it's filtered, it's amazingly funny. It, so, yes. it, I mean, comedy is always funniest when it's true. And I uh-huh. heard a bit of his that he did the other day, and it was on the death penalty, and he was talking about, hey, if you want to to like kill someone and get away with it, don't do not come to Texas. Because he said, while other <laughs> states are trying to abolish the death penalty, my state is not abolishing the death penalty. In fact, <laughs> they just made a their a ruling that if there are three eyewitnesses to your murder, you don't get any appeals. He said, so while other states are trying to outlaw the death penalty completely he said in texas we're creating an express lane to (laughs) the death penalty Uh Uh you do not get Uh appeals you don't get anything he's like so and you know and it made me laugh i feel similar and it it doesn't really matter what i feel or what i believe to, uh, to anyone other than me probably but but it seems to me that we like when someone has a wish to, to not continue to live and we whether it's a criminal or whether it's right. someone who is like has fatal like terminal cancer and they're getting ready to face a lot of pain right. and I know it's very very controversial I personally think we should have a right to choose those things and leave them their dignity to go how they want I'm not suggesting that this Mr. Arguez, I mean, it feels odd to me even calling him Mr. Arguez because Mr. is a term of right, respect, right. and I, I don't want to give him that respect. Uh-huh. So after he went into a coma, and the no. ACLU kicks in, and my friend kicks in, and another lawyer kicks in, Brad, Ed, Ed jumps in, and and like I say, Roberto is firing him every time he'd show up for court and these lawyers would show up and say that they want to appeal this and he needs a psychological evaluation to see if he's sane. He is like yelling and screaming profanities and telling, I fired these guys. These are not my lawyers. I do not want them. Another interesting fact is his sentencing hearing. He questioned the witnesses himself at the sentencing hearing. And one of the women, let me find this. One of the women that he questioned was a woman that he had raped and attempted to murder. He slit her throat and she lived. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And oh my gosh. I can't imagine anything more terrifying than having the guy that raped you and tried to kill you actually try to ask you questions. Exactly. Exactly. Like I can relate to it on a level, but not. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I can imagine what it's like because I've been there, and we'll talk about that soon. But this woman, the last time she'd been on the witness stand was 17 years prior when he grabbed her as a young girl while she was walking to school. This is different than any Mm -hmm. of the other women I've talked about so far. This is a different woman, another victim. And he raped her in some desolate field, and then he cut her throat and left her there to die. Wow. And and she lived, as did three more of his rape victims. So while he's facing the execution, the the state brought her in at the sentencing hearing to, I guess, to talk about character, to kind of show <laughs> that he had bad character. That I think yeah. I'd probably agree with that. Um, yeah. Like he has no character? Yeah, I think so too. And that's a really difficult thing for a victim to do, to show up, to talk about something like this awful that happened to them. Right. And this woman not only had to do that, yeah. She actually was questioned, was cross-examined by Roberto, the, the rapist himself. I can't imagine. And no. he says to no. her, well, no. so he's facing the death penalty, right? He wanted to be executed. So I'm actually not totally quite sure his line of questioning, but I can tell you what he said here from the record. He asked the victim to describe his demeanor when he attacked her on that snowy March morning in 1980. And she responded and said, I'm not inside your head, sir. Wow. But he asked, did I not hesitate during the attack? And Roberto had told police that he blacked out during his crimes, which if he blacked out, then how does he know that he hesitated? Right, exactly. And her response to that question is this. She, She says, I guess maybe you had realized what you had done. And like, keep this in mind that she says this while she has scars from the slashing that she'd gotten as a 14-year-old, but the scars were still visible on her throat. Ugh! Sure. And then she says, there you were with this girl you had just raped and stabbed, and you were trying to decide what to do. And, I mean, whole... Like, the fact that she could even put a sentence together in the face of her rapist, I am in awe of her strength. Oh, and her courage uh-huh. to do She's that. She's like a, yes, a very, very courageous woman. Wow. Yes. Wow. So he refused the option of being sentenced to life without parole. So he left the judge okay. with really just two choices. Either life with parole eligibility, which can you imagine? No. Or to be executed. Okay. And the judge chose to execute him. Okay. Oh, here's here's just another interesting fact, like a little earlier when he was in prison, mm-hmm. what he was in prison for was molesting a brother and a sister who were ages 11 and 18, and they were molested behind a school in December of 92. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's a sick man. And so he's a very sick man. Mm-hmm. So he had killed already those four women at the right. time that he molested that brother and sister. Wow. He claimed that he was overwhelmed by guilt after he received this letter from his girlfriend telling him that they have a child together. And that's, like I say, that's why he decided to confess to it. So after his hanging attempt, his suicide attempt by hanging at the prison, after his confession, and all, like I say, the ACLU comes, kicks in, two other lawyers kicked in, one of them was a friend of mine, he... He kept firing them. Mm-hmm. They kept showing up at court. And right. I would say to my friend when I'd see him, like, Ed, why do you 
Why do, Why do you, you keep doing showing it? up? Yeah. He keeps firing you. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, he's not my lawyer. He doesn't want you to be his lawyer. Oh, wait, there's some more. There's th- th- that woman that w- testified against him. Right. There's another survivor that testified, and she was just 10 years old test- when she'd been kidnapped, snatched off of her bike in a field, and he sodomized her. She was only 10 years old. Oh, She's And her, no. her testimony was, I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't familiar with men. I just wanted to get away. And oh, horrible. And she says, I remember laying in the snow pleading. He told her, be quiet, I need to think. And then he pulled out a knife and demanded that she strip. And when she refused, he cut her arm. And so then she took her clothes off and he raped her. She was 10 years old. And he stabbed her. He stabbed her five times and slashed her neck twice. But then he decided to drive her to a nearby home where he left her naked and bleeding on the front porch. And so when oh she... Oh, my t- gosh. Oh, can you imagine? A 10-year-old? It's just... This is just devastating. No. So no. I need... Can you imagine answering your door? Can you yeah. imagine answering your door? And I can't. And this brutalized child. Oh, it's yeah. And And, and then here, she lived. And oh. she lived. She lived. When she testified... At the sentencing hearing, because they had brought a a number of these people. When she testified, the prosecutor asked her, were you afraid? Which, I mean, of course she was afraid. That was a silly question. But her her response, I want everyone to pay attention to it, because people, they don't understand how sexual victims, how they respond to things. And I think her answer to this will just in an, in one sentence explain how when you're a sexual victim how your thinking really is it's like you're such a victim that you think so differently so when he, he asks her were you afraid her answer is I was scared and she was crying and it, it was really really intense in the courtroom at that time she then says I was thinking how mad my mom would be that I was out in a field with a strange man who was hurting me and which is really crazy because we, we, uh. we're stepping back. We can see that. But my point is, so often when we are victims of a sex crime in one way or another, we carry the guilt. We carry the shame. Like, it must be my fault. I didn't fight him hard enough. I shouldn't have been there. I should have said this. I should have done this. I should. And it's not, not woman's fault it's not the little girl's fault the little boy's fault the man's fault which it is the perpetrator's fault i just wanted to get that point in there i thought that that answer of hers was so so telling for people to know and and that was that was a little kid talking but that guilt and that shame that you feel as a victim i i don't think i've ever had a case when that wasn't a part of it it was certainly a part of it for my case and we'll hear about that later so after when wow. they've got these lawyers kicking in that shouldn't that I in my opinion shouldn't be there. If you've been fired by the guy and yes. he's saying I don't want a yeah, lawyer, I want to be executed, quit appealing my stuff and they won't let him. He's attempted suicide and it's kind of goes back to that first capital murder that client that I had that I think it's so silly when we want to execute someone 
And then they try to commit suicide. They attempt suicide. And we save them. So, hey, you don't get to kill you. We do. We're going to... What? Like, it just... There's just... Yeah. It yeah, just seems... Yeah. Doesn't so, make any sense. So uh, backwards. Yeah. While that's yes. going on, yeah. he it's actually weird. started collecting his feces and he started eating feces. Oh, to, my gosh. Yeah. In an attempt to <sighs> die. And started eating paper and plastic because he he said, I'm so frustrated. Like, these, no one is listening to, like, I want to be executed. And the instead of saying, I think this guy really wants to be executed, he was so frustrated in court. He said, right. he said, people at the prison keep telling me what, that I don't want to be executed. But I do want to be executed. And I want to be executed by firing squad. And I don't want to have a hood on. I want to be killed by firing squad, and I don't want any more appeals. And instead, Ed kept showing up, and this woman, they, they these lawyers, my Ed, I love Ed. Ed is a really nice man. Bless his heart, seriously. God bless him because he believes right, there's but, there's value in everyone's life. I, I, right. I can go both ways. This but is a really dies. yeah right yes right. But this man is doing everything he can to die. Yes. Give him that opportunity. So Ed was using the argument that he was eating his feces and paper and plastic to say, see, he's proving that he's insane. And I guess I could see that because that's certainly not sane behavior. But the other part of it is, what? That's the only power True. the guy had to kill himself. So I, I could see the argument right. actually going right. both ways. How does this thing end? Well, Holy hell. so all those hearings, I can't tell you quite yet, because at all those hearings, it gets, it's, it gets even crazier. Okay, get any crazier. I, <laughs> I promise you it does. Because he was oh so furious God. that he couldn't be executed. And so frustrated that they wouldn't listen to it. He would show up at court. And I told you he'd be like just yelling profanities. And are, so what they started doing is they had to bring him in in a wheelchair. Not because he was disabled, but because they needed some way to get him in the room and to be able to restrain him at the same time. So they restrained his arms, handcuffed his arms and his legs in the chair so he couldn't move. Then they thought, okay, we've got this hearing, it's going well, and Ed is arguing why he needs more psychological evaluation, that we need to stay the execution again, postpone it, push it off, push it off, so that we can do yet more psychological evaluations. And Arguez was so angry, he was freaking out so much, the judge threw him out of the courtroom three different times. And they would take him out of the courtroom, They'd be oh arguing without him, and, which is interesting to me. How can they argue without him? Because the man that is in the courtroom arguing on his behalf, he has fired multiple times. He doesn't is want him his, as a lawyer. Exactly. It's not his attorney. Oh. Right, right. And he was saying it's this not my attorney. Crazy. So then yeah. they would say, okay, uh, are you going to be nice if you, we let you back in? And he'd say yes, and then he'd come back in, and Ed would start arguing for him, and he'd freak out again and start screaming profanities and it was so crazy the next time they had a court hearing the judge ordered him to have like a mask on his face like 
which is why I call this case oh, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, they because. Oh my gosh! And so he was now handcuffed and restrained with arms and legs in a wheelchair, and now he has a mask on his face. And I will post this picture on on our website and on face social media and stuff. The mask, like, and so. It, he has this mask that's trying to restrain him and so and and like a fishnet like over his face to try to to stop him from spitting and he just like fights gets past he's spitting through the netting spitting through the mask this guy is like freaking out i want to be executed he's spitting swearing he's doing everything he can they take him out of the courtroom again i run it i see ed and i said <laughs> so i started calling his client i said how's your client hannibal lecter because I don't know if you remember in Silence of the Lambs, they had to, they put that over his mouth so that he wouldn't eat people. Right. And it felt so yeah. similar to me Ugh. because this guy was such a monster. We have restrained his arms, we've st- restrained his legs. All he has left is his mouth, and he's just spewing profanities. He's spitting. He's just like the picture that. Oh, it is just sickening. Uh, and. They were yeah. still arguing appeals. It was going to the Utah Supreme Court, and I thought it was insane. I kept saying, Ed, why not just let him get his wishes? Like, the, the, this dude wants to die. Hannibal Lecter wants to die. Let's let Hannibal die. Like, why are we fighting for this guy? And if Ed really is representing him, mm-hmm. why is he not listening to him? Why doesn't Ed go in and say, listen, against my better judgment Mm -hmm. he wants to die that's what he wants so how can we help him like don't you know what for something that the person doesn't want that's what i don't understand that is representing the person and not yourself and your own values this is against what i believe this is but this is what he wants why amen why yep did we have to absolutely in all of these years Absolutely. I totally yeah. agree. And okay, I've argued sorry. on... I, no, no, do not apologize. That is... You are dead on. It is exactly Gosh, the point. It just, it's why it's yeah. why I would get so f- frustrated with so many of the cases that Jack took. Because if you take a case and you're representing the client, even if that client doesn't see it the way you see it, you're hired to be their advocate. And I think you can say, hey, in my experience... Right. This it's is not about this is not you. a good thing. Yeah, but it's not about you. You've been hired to right. mm-hmm. help them. I agree. Like Rep- his yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So Ed and like I say, bless his heart. Ed believed that no one should be executed. That this guy was insane, and we are barbaric if we execute an insane person. And he argued that eating feces. <laughs> I can't even say this without laughing. He argued that eating feces and... It makes me want to throw up. Yeah. And and all of those things proved his insanity. And I can see it both ways. I can see how that proved his insanity. And I can also see how it actually kind of proved his sanity. He wanted to die. And what other options did he have? He couldn't take poison. He didn't get any poison in there. The only poison that he was making was actually coming from his body. And so he took the... Like, you have to be desperate to right. do that. So, after another court session, he went back to the prison. He was eating. He was eating all of his discovery. I've told you that 
like inmates have their paperwork, their discovery yeah. usually. He started eating all that discovery, his court papers, and he started eating the pa- plastic, the utensils, oh, the plastic utensils they gave him. And shockingly, oh my he, they found him unresponsive in his jail cell. Apparently, you cannot eat utensils <laughs> and, and paper plastic. and and oh feces and not have that. Yeah. yeah. That's horrible. This is a horrible case. It really is. <laughs> It is. So many levels. Yes. Um, Achilles people want to die. They won't let you die. You revert to the grossest and, and here's, stuff to die. So, yeah. So, ultimately, he ended up dying without, without Utah's help. The state didn't help him at all. And, which is so ironic to me because they wanted, we want to execute him, but in our, on our own terms, I, I don't know. Right. It's, it's, I can't, I can't decide what's more barbaric. Him, like I don't know. It's all it's all really painful, difficult stuff. He had been taken yeah. to the hospital twice with intestinal blockage, but he refused treatment. Okay. <laughs> in two thousand three, this really it he they were appealing and fighting this until two thousand three. I can see why he's frustrated because remember he confessed to these oh, murders in ninety six. It had been years, and he I think he thought oh, okay. hey I'll, it was seven, seven years. years. Yeah. They noted on the wow. evening of November 15th, they're on a routine patrol going past the cells on death row. And Arguez had glassy eyes and he was unusually subdued. So they took him to the prison infirmary and, I mean, death came very quickly. He, w- he got into a coma. He was unresponsive. And within literally like 20 minutes, I mean, they within... Five minutes, they called for an ambulance, and within 20 minutes, he was pronounced dead. And the lawyers, the lawyers that were arguing for him, including my my good friend, were they didn't let the issue die. They were arguing that, hey, he was obviously mental mentally ill, and we should have given him treatment. Well. Roberto had said in one of his court appearances that when he asked to be executed, he said, hey, I don't think there's any treatment that can cure me of my problem. I just want to be executed. I can't be cured. I want to be executed. And Wow. Yeah. Really crazy. Ed kept, even after his death, Ed was appealing to the Supreme Court to try to change the law so that someone... That they would have to have more psychological evaluations. I don't know how many more you need. They had two. I don't know. I, it, it, this is really emotional right. stuff. Really horrific, horrific crime. But that is yes. my tell yes. of of our Utah serial killer that I, <laughs> that I call Hannibal Lecter. Really horrifying. I, but all and, I can say is this is one I'm thankful the story is over. Yeah. And I know this story is horrific and awful, but I want to point out something really amazing. The human spirit in this case. Notice there were multiple women that testified that had been raped. And he had attempted to murder them, slit their throats, cut them up, stab them multiple times. They survived that. The human spirit, I'm just amazed at our resilience. But not only did they survive it, they actually thrived it. Imagine facing the person that raped you and you are dealing with 
and he's cross-examining you, not only do you face him, but you are a pillar of strength in all of this. And I, these women, I am in awe of their strength, and I am what it, it actually gives me hope. That if they can overcome that, we can overcome anything and everything. We can become powerful and strong again after horrible things have happened to us. So thank you for listening to Pamela Private Eye.